You're listening to Market Scale Food and Beverage. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jamie Ritchie, the worldwide head for Sotheby's Wine. Jamie, how are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So let's do one little traditional interview thing and get it out of the way. Give me, if you would, just a brief description of your journey that brought you to your position as the worldwide head for Sotheby's Wine. So in, uh, when I was about 18, I realized that I was interested in wine. I was working bars and restaurants. And then uh, and I realized that if I drank a bottle of wine every day and I lived till I was 70, I would drink about 20,000 bottles of wine. So I decided that I was pretty likely to, to drink those 20,000 bottles of wine, so I may as well learn something about it. So I started getting interested in, in learning about wine. I started working bars and restaurants. And uh, I spent six years in the restaurant business. And then um, I, I was very familiar with, with a lot of restaurant-style wines. And, uh, and I decided if I want a career in the wine business, I want to work in the fine wine business, in the, in the top end of the business. So that was really, I was based in London. Um, and, uh, and so I, I looked around at, at various different wine merchants, brokers, um, et cetera, and, and, and thought about auction houses. And, uh, and the fun thing with an auction house is there's an element of performance in the auction and drama, uh, as well as uh, the commercial sale of wine. And uh, I was always a, you know, wanted to be an actor. Um, and uh, in, in my book, a failed actor becomes a barrister. Um, and so I actually went and studied law. And then the continuation of that is a failed barrister becomes an auctioneer. Uh, and so I actually looked around for, for and was sort of thinking about the auction business. And I was very fortunate. I saw an ad in the New York, in the, the London Times, which said, uh, that Sotheby's were recruiting for a position in their wine business. I applied for it, and uh, that was back in 1990. I joined Sotheby's in London in 1990, and uh, and then moved to New York in '95 uh, when we opened our, our New York auction business. Uh, and I've really been based in the U.S. ever since. Okay, <clears throat> please take this as a compliment. That may be one of the most convoluted and ridiculous origin stories that I've ever heard. That is fascinating. You have so many things I want to ask you about your origin, but we'll have to save that for another podcast. And you, the the range that you work in is mind-boggling. Tell me a little bit about just like, what's a normal day for you like? So well, we have two businesses at Sotheby's. We have a retail business uh, and an auction business. So on the auction side of things, I think 80% of our mental energy is, uh, is all centered around finding wine to sell. So finding consignments of wine. And we use, um, there's the, uh, the three Ds for the auction business, which is death, debt, and divorce. And we have a, a fourth one for the wine business, which is doctor's orders. So those are reasons people might sell with us. In reality, it's mostly coming from, uh, from clients who have just uh, collected too much wine and realize they're not going to consume it all. Uh, and so a lot of our mental energy in terms of the, uh, the auction business is focused on finding collections to sell uh, and then negotiating those collections, uh, talking to the clients. And, and then there's the logistics piece of, of, uh, of inspecting the wine, picking up the wine, uh, creating the catalogs, and then building up to the sale and the momentum of actually you know, being the auctioneer uh, during the auction and selling the wines and obviously trying to maximize the value uh, for the clients who you're selling on behalf of and trying to make sure that the buyers are, are getting something which is authentic and in great condition and going to be a wonderful glass of wine. 
Um, you know, retail business is a little, um, yeah, it's a little different. It's a daily business, um, at different price points. Um, and, uh, and, and that's sort of really a focus that one has to take on every day. And so in the auction business, I say we take wine from a few and sell it to a few more. And in the retail business, we take wine from many and sell it to many more. So there's a sort of different focus between the two businesses. It sounds like you may have actually found the perfect job for yourself. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's varied. I, I get bored easily. And so uh, there's a lot of variety. Uh, there's a lot of travel um, because we're an international business. We have a business in London, New York, and Hong Kong. Uh, and so it's varied, uh, which I like. Um, it's in wine, which I'm passionate about. Um, and there's a, it's a real business. I've always been interested in how you determine a starting price for a bottle of wine. Now, I know a lot of that is comparisons. Oh, well, this bottle of a similar vintage this year sold for this much. So, And there's some math and things that are involved in that, I'm quite sure. But I've always wondered, what if you get a bottle that no one's bought, that you don't really have a comparison for? How, how do you decide where to start with that unique thing? Uh, well, you, you with wine, it's pretty rare because it is a commodity and it's a multiple, and 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 yeah, most wines have been found around. You do find occasional things like a, a champagne in a from a shipwreck or or a wine that's just been discovered, and so you you, you try and use use the closest comparatives of, of old rare um, wines from different areas, different ages, and then you use your market knowledge about the desirability of that. And also your knowledge of, of, of which collectors would probably be interested in it to try and figure out the, the pricing, uh, the correct pricing. But in the auction business, you know, with the very, very rare items, it's much more difficult than yeah, the everyday commodity items. My grandfather always told me that something is worth exactly what someone is willing to pay for it and not a penny more. Do you find times where you are literally shocked that a bottle of wine or a, 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 a lot of wine sells for a number that's just, you can't even comprehend that it was so much more than you anticipated? Well, well so, so the good thing is we always do get to comprehend it because you know, whether we're the auctioneer or, or watching one of our auctioneers, you know, we're in the sale room witnessing it. And obviously in the auction business, it's not just one person willing to pay it. But uh, there's got to be an underbidder, so there's got to be two people basically willing to pay the same price. Um, obviously, one wins. But it's um, it is yeah. There, there are auctions which are astoundingly successful and and do shock us. And one was uh, in uh, October 2010 where we sold some wines direct from Chateau Lafitte uh, in Hong Kong at the height of the sort of the Asian desire for Chateau Lafitte, and we sold. Yeah, the whole sale was 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 valued at one point four million on a low estimate. It sold for eight million, and uh, three bottles of Chateau Lafitte eighteen sixty nine achieved the world record price of two hundred thirty five thousand dollars a bottle each. So yeah, that was a a, a staggering price um, for us. And last year we sold some Macallan, uh, a Macallan Lalique collection uh, for just under a million dollars in Hong Kong. So so both unbelievably high prices, which we would not have believed going into the auction. You mentioned also that there's a lot of drama that's involved in an auction. It's very, it's very exciting. You know, there's a lot of tension and it's a lot of adrenaline. It's really a neat thing to watch. And I would imagine that you are a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, that you getting to be in there and watch the drama unfold. Do you find that 
sometimes a bottle will sell for a much higher value and it's not necessarily a reflection on the quality of that bottle, but it's the two personalities that were bidding against each other. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, you definitely see that um, whether, whether the bidders are on the telephone or in the room, uh, you definitely see that, um, you know, the, the competitive process um, and, and some people's you know, budgets are you know, uh, uh, more flexible than others. And when you get two people going at it um, you, who really want something, then you know the 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 value to them in that moment is is different to the the value that was perceived beforehand. So you definitely see those dynamics coming in, and, and auctions are they're they're deadline driven. Yeah, the 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 whole process is deadline driven. You have to find the wine, you have to create the catalog, you have to hold the auction. And yeah, we've had auctions in snowstorms. We've had um, different uh, things happen during auctions. But it, yeah, it is. It is. It's like a performance. Every every time you have an auction, it's a performance. Since you have to keep uh, a finger on the pulse of so many different aspects of this transaction, the the value, the market, the timing, delivery, acquisition. There, you're juggling a lot of things at one time. That causes you to focus on a lot of different aspects at one time. You have to multitask very well. In your day-to-day process of that, are you noticing some some trends that are starting to come into the industry that have even surprised you? Um, I mean, I think the basics of the of the process of the auction business are, are, are pretty much the same as they've always been. Um, yeah, in terms of transportation of wines nowadays, in terms of yeah, regulatory um, laws. So I would say that the the yeah, everything's become a lot more efficient apart from regulation. And regulation can either get in the way of business and, and, and harm business, or it can uh, free up business. So what we're seeing in the US right now is, a, a, is regulation about interstate shipping, which is a very negative thing about the business. And, and regulation you're coming into different states about restricting the supply of wines. And I think what we're seeing in somewhere like Hong Kong, which has done exactly the opposite and has uh, created a completely open market where there's no duty or, or VAT or taxes applied to wine and has really cr- stimulated the market. And so I think the biggest change in, in what we see is the effect of regulation continuing to, to dominate um, the, the pricing and, and the markets that are available to people. As someone who enjoys wine and appreciates it as much as you do, do you, and now you have the information that you do, you get to see a side of wine that most people don't get to see. So you have a a deeper understanding of not only where wine is going, but where it comes from. So you uh, notice weather, climate, pricing, governmental regulations, as you mentioned, and all of those have distinct impacts on not only the quality of wine, but the amount of wine that's being produced. Do you see that as being something that changes the way people consume wine? I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think obviously production and climate levels certainly will influence the supply of wine and, uh, and will continue to do that. And they'll also influence the style of wines. So you've got you know, obviously global warming affecting the, the, the climate in different regions. You've got natural disasters, um, and that can include you know, anything from frost to flooding um, to extreme heat. Um, and that will definitely affect the quality of wine. And so I think over the period of, of time, we're going to see yeah, whether it's Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, 
um, or, or what's happening in California, the, those influences will all affect supply. I think in terms of demand, I think there's a movement, um, you know, away from um, big and bold into more nuance. And so what we've seen is a movement, you know, um, whereby the Pinot Noir grape from Burgundy is, is becoming yeah, a, a more desirable um, in terms of demand and flavor profile. And I think that that will sort of continue, if you like. So move people in coffee terms, moving away from, yeah. A heavy dark roast to to a lighter roast. I think we're seeing the same in the wine world, and I think we'll continue to to see that um, in terms of want, people wanting more nuance and finesse and elegance. Do you think that's also a feature of of generations? Uh, I think it's an evolution in the in the style and the progress of wine um, and the and people's tastes. So I think it's 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 yeah we see it in the in the, in restaurants in food in wine. That, that I think it's in, 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 in knowledge. So the, the, the knowledge in the winery and in the vineyards of how to make wine and how to get uh, better grapes into the winery and how to make a purer style of wine. If you now go back and taste the wines from the 60s or 70s, you see that they're much, much more rustic than the wines we're making today. And so I think it's just an evolution in knowledge and, and taste. As technology continues to evolve, which most people don't associate technology with wine, but they probably should, in my opinion, as technology evolves and information is more readily available, do you find a, 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 an increase in the level of knowledgeability or education of the average wine consumer? Uh, yes, I, mean, I think wine's getting more popular. We're seeing the demographics of it change you know, on a global basis, people with you know, acquiring wealth at younger ages, um, people getting interested in wine because it's something you share and enjoy together. And I think that's, that's all happening in terms of the, the technology and the understanding of it. I think all the apps that are available now, all the information online, um, and all the sort of marketing tools where people are sort of you know, being more flexible in terms of how they promote wine, how they understand wine, and whether it's by grape variety or by region, uh, I think there is definitely a lot more knowledge in the marketplace. The other thing is that, that, that a $20 bottle of wine today is a lot better than a $20 bottle of wine 10 or 15, 20 years ago. And so I think we're seeing also a much better quality in the glass at the same time as, as we're seeing more transparency in the business. In your position, you are quite arguably one of the thought leaders in this entire industry. From that position, you have the ability to see sort of what is down the road. Do you see anything on the horizon that has really caught your attention that you see is going to be a seismic change in the industry? Uh, I don't think there'll be a seismic change, but I think there'll be a, a, a perpetual evolution. Um, so I think in terms of the business models of how wine gets sold, I think they'll continue to be greater consolidation, uh, both domestically and globally, in terms of uh, of who's selling wine to whom. And I think you'll see with whether it's Total Wines or Amazon.com, um, I think you'll see new business models and new distribution methods coming through. I think you'll also continue to see the globalization of wine, some new countries and new buyers, you know, participating more in the wine market, and whether that's Latin America or Asia, or Russia, or India, specific countries. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see demand uh, increasing. 
And so with the with the main supply of, of, of the greatest wines in the world being very limited because you know, geographically there's no more great vineyards that they can be planted in these in these regions. So I think you know, with with supply being limited, you're going to continue to see um, upward pressure on pricing as demand increases through a, a younger demographic and be a, a wider geographic um, yeah, demand from, from various different regions. So I think those sort of are the two different areas which, which I would see. My final question for you today is going to put you on the spot a little bit. And if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. But I hope that you answer. What is the most expensive wine that you have ever had the privilege of tasting? Give me a little bit of the story. So I, I was lucky enough to enjoy a bottle of the 1869 Lafitte, which is you know, got the record price of $235,000. I, I actually enjoyed it in, in a different set of circumstances about six months before the sale. Uh, and um, and it, it came from a, a different seller, a different source with a different rebottling, which would mean that it wouldn't be um, you know, anywhere near that value at all. Uh, but it was a um, a phenomenal glass of wine that that we served to a number of people blind, and most people thought it was it was ninety years younger. They thought it was in nineteen fifty nine, not in eighteen sixty nine. It was an outstanding wine, um, and one of the great sort of historic uh, vinous memories which I, I have, and uh, and uh, and a fun thing to have enjoyed, and and yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great memory. That is pretty amazing. I would have been an absolute nervous wreck just holding a glass of a wine that expensive. I would have been afraid that I was going to drop it. I wish you the best of luck, sir, and continued success. And let's see if we can't find the next great bottle of wine for you to test on your journey. Today, I've been talking to Jamie Ritchie, the worldwide head for Sotheby's Wine. Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really have enjoyed this. Thank you. So have I. Have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.